0: May the first, and our chapter reading for today is Ezra chapter four. Since it is a very brief chapter, I want to take this time to just remind you of Ezra and the importance of Ezra. The book of Ezra is written in two languages. Most of the correspondence and the articles and the research that Ezra quotes was before his time, that is, before he actually was in first person at these places. He had to chronicle, as he did in writing the book of Chronicles, from sources that had been given to him that he had researched and found. It's amazing. This is the same way that Luke wrote his gospel, wrote the book of Acts, and I believe also with the Apostle Paul as his mentor and dictating to him, I believe he also wrote the book of Hebrews. But what you have in Ezra, at least the first half of Ezra, is things that occurred decades before, up to 60 years before Ezra came on the scene. And so he did a lot of research to make sure that what he was writing down was accurate. That means that he had access, as he would have had, to these documents from both a Jewish perspective and from the Persians' perspective. For instance, the decree of Cyrus. He was not there when that was delivered. The list of articles of the temple that's in chapter 1. list of those who return from Jerusalem in chapter 2. The letter to Artaxerxes in chapter 4. The letter of reply of Artaxerxes. That's in chapter 4. The report of Tatnai. in chapter 5. The decree of Cyrus, chapter 6. The reply of Darius in chapter 6. The genealogy of Ezra, chapter 7. The authorization of Artaxerxes in chapter seven, the list of the heads of the clans, chapter eight, and the list of those involved in mixed marriages. Now, The latter part of those, Ezra would have been involved in, but the first part was totally his research. And so there is great value in understanding that the Jewish people and these ancient cultures meticulously wrote down what was going to happen, especially the Persians, because they wanted to chronicle everything that they did so that the law of the Medes and the Persians would not be misunderstood and would not be altered. And so in our last podcast, we looked at the temple foundation being laid they were getting off to a good start. And then it says in chapter 4, Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. Now, number one, that's not true. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, the king of Assyria who brought us here. In other words, these were people who had been a part of the decimation of the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, the Assyrians didn't take people to go live around Nineveh as the Babylonians did in Mesopotamia. Rather, they scattered their people all over their kingdom. And for instance, they would take away 90% of the people of Samaria that they conquered in 722 B.C. And they would leave 10% that would know something of the surrounding area they would bring in 90 percent of people from other places so that they would have to learn each other's languages so they would have to develop friendships and that would take time before they could ever mount a rebellion against the Assyrians and so it was their strategy and so these people had come in and they had just adopted the god of the land was well, you know the god of Samaria as they knew Hashem Yahweh would not have been the same kind and of pure worship as in the kingdom of the south. And so this is exactly what took place. And so the scripture says that They troubled the people uh, when they didn't get their way, when they didn't cooperate with them. And so as you read down through the chapter, it says, uh, you may do nothing with us. This is what Zerubbabel and the rest said. You may do nothing with us because God sent us here to build this. King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us to do it. Then the people of the land tried to discourage them, the people of Judah. They tried to discourage everything to did. They trouble them. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, and even into the reign of Darius, the king of Persia, who succeeded him. And so they wrote a letter and decided they would just go ahead and go back to the source of the one who gave them the authority. And what they did was very deceitful. Even though they had the letters, the rubbable and all of them had the decree of Cyrus, they waited until it was the right time when a new ruler had come about that was trying to make his own way. And they wrote this flowery letter and said, hey, look, we're just over here looking out for your interest. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. And uh, these people have come in, and they're trying to take over. And you know, this has been a rebellious city, this city of Jerusalem. Now, these are the people that were just saying, we want to join you. We want to be with you. But when it didn't turn out the way they wanted, all of a sudden now they're the enemies and saying, you know, this is a very rebellious people, and you better get a hold on them. They're even starting to build back the walls. Now, we know that they may have cleared off and started building around the gates, but we know by the time of Nehemiah which was even later than this, at least 14 years after Ezra went back, not this time, which was close to 80 years before this time of Nehemiah, when he built the walls, because the walls were still torn down during that time, even after Ezra had gone back. It was 14 years later before Nehemiah came about. So this was just a lie. But what I want you to see is these people were very deceitful. And uh, Zerubbabel and the Jewish leaders were very, wise in not allowing them to join them. Can you imagine what it would have been having them in that? There are so many lessons here I want to draw attention to in just a moment, but I want you to understand that they were so deceitful in what they did. These were half-truths. They were not telling the whole story, and this is the way that the enemy of our souls, Satan himself, does. And the demons, his imps, they are always trying to twist, distort, insinuate. This is is his message. You see, God speaks in clear tones so everyone can understand what he's saying. And he asked us to do that. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul said that when you are giving out a trumpet blast, that many times the shofar blast for the sound of war and the sound of worship was very close to sounding alike. And so he said, you don't want to call the people to war when they need to be worshiping. You don't want to call them to worship when they need to be warring. So let your trumpet give a clear sound. Let your speech have a clear speech. You can read about this in Paul's letters to the Corinthians because they were having trouble with clarity, not just with the gift of tongues and understanding or misunderstanding that, but they were filling their churches there in Corinth with this kind of insinuation and half-truths, halfway doing things, and there needed to be clarity. And so all of chapter four is about this letter that was sent and the reply back and forth. And so the work was stopped and it was stopped for 14 years. It's not until chapter five when Haggai and Zechariah come on the scene that you have any kind of restoration of the work. But this is very discouraging. I think it is a paradigm for us in how not to handle something. Because they had a letter from Osiris, and they let this discourage them, and they let these half truths instead of sending a delegation or a letter, doing what they did later—that a search be made later. It was handled in the right way, and the work was continued because the men of God came in and said, "No, you need to do this. If they don't like it, then you need to be aggressive. You need to be assertive. You need to go and make sure that a letter is written on your behalf, and not just accept it the way it is." And This is what happens many times in churches. You have uh, somebody that says, I want my way. They don't get their way. And when someone wants attention, they'll get it one way or the other, good or bad. And so we have to be careful about who we let into our churches. You see, the devil doesn't have to try to fight the church anymore. He's joining it. And so we got to be careful in our great thirst for members and our great thirst for growth and our great thirst to make sure everybody thinks that we're ahead of the next church down the road that if we're not careful we're going to let people into our church that are going to be trouble and so we have to make very clear what we are all about right up front clarity because I want people the church that I pastor that I lead that God has given me an assignment and the people have given me an assignment to protect that body from those who are within and so this is why the elders come together, and we make sure the very best we can that those that we let in the church understand their responsibilities and our responsibilities, what they can expect of the church and what the church can expect of them. Why would we do that? Well, that will cause some people not to join. Well, then they don't join. But look what happened when they did not get their way with Zerubbabel. They caused trouble. They went out and started all kinds of lies and rumors. This happens all the time. I was in a meeting years ago with Dr. Falwell at Lynchburg, Virginia. He made this statement. He said, a man's ministry will ultimately be determined not by what most people measure, that is baptisms and budgets and buildings. But in the long run, his ministry will either succeed or fail based upon what it takes to discourage him. That's fascinating. And it's true. If we have an assignment from God, then we need to fulfill it. And if God sent us like Cyrus sent them, then they need to do it and always need to be able to go back and appeal to whatever it was that caused them to do what they did in the first place because the enemy always has a method of discouragement. And when I deal with people who call me pastors, call me many times throughout each month, and some months it's more than others, just simply because of the nature of the ministry and the time of the year that they move. But each year I deal with several pastors that call me and say, what do you think about me going over here, especially younger pastors now? I say to them, if you go there, you make doubly sure that God has sent you. And I'll stress that and, stress and they'll say, well, you know, I want to be as sure as I can. I say, no, you make sure that God has sent you because as soon as you get there, the enemy will try to discourage you and you're going to have to go back and make sure that you and the church doubly know that this is God's will for you to be there because opposition is going to take place. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's a matter of when. And so everybody's not going to like you. And if I tell these young men, and some older folks now that really are just trying to halfway do things that if indeed everybody likes you in the town, the community, the city where you are, then you're not preaching the word of God and not being like Jesus. In other words, you're not calling out sin. You're not confronting the rich crowd. You're not confronting the poor crowd. You're not confronting the community because Jesus said In this world, you're going to have crushing. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. If they hated me, they will hate you. So in other words, Jesus said, if you do what I do, if you live like I live, if you are like I am, you're going to be opposed. Why was it that Zerubbabel and all of the early leaders that came back from Babylon on assignment from the king of Persia who had sent them, why did they give up? because they didn't go back to say, hey, wait a minute, we're here on commission of the king, and you leave us alone, or we're going to appeal to him. We've got to be careful. We've got to be vigilant, because our enemy is as a roaring lion walking about all the time, day and night, seeking whom he may devour. But the lion of the tribe of Judah is our protector. He is the king of all. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. And when he sends us on a mission, we can fulfill it. As we see in the next chapter, God sends a reminder in the form of two prophets to say, get on with the work that I have called you to do. You see, Cyrus was just doing my bidding. For on the way, this is Tony Crisp.